This is Frank Morano on Talk Radio 1071 o'clock this morning. Hey, I know a lot of you listen to The Other Side of Midnight, and believe me, I'm grateful for your patronage every morning from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., and if you're not listening to that show, you should be. But uh, this morning, when I ended the show, I said that I was going to bring you the audio of Joe Biden talking to Jake Tapper about how he pulled his dog's tail and how he fell and tripped on the rug in the shower. I can't find the audio of that. I don't know if maybe that portion of the interview hasn't been released released yet, but the New York Post is reporting on it, but I looked on YouTube. I looked on CNN's website. I can't find it anywhere. So uh, I'll keep an eye on that. We are going to check in with John Katsimatidis in just a couple of minutes. Uh, not a couple of minutes, but in our second half hour. And with Lauren Conlon to do a follow-up on uh, her series exploring the death of actress Brittany Murphy. Coming up in just a minute, I'm going to talk with Matthew J. Mary, who um, is a distinguished criminal defense attorney. I'm going to ask his opinion on Jelaine Maxwell. I want to ask his opinion on where we are with these Trump lawsuits and, and everything else. So I'm very much looking forward to chatting with him. But first, there was one story that I wanted to bring to your attention before we got out of here. And it's an interesting one. A Florida teen who was busted for street racing blasted the cops... TV show theme song, apparently to mock the police. Oscar Manuel Lara Eterol D. I, uh, you think this guy's got enough names? A 19-year-old was spotted zooming up to 95 miles per hour near Naples, Florida, according to the police who pulled him over. As a deputy checked his license, Itarid began blaring the 1989 tune Bad Boys by Inner Circle. Let me tell you something. Free tip, pro tip. If you're going to be doing 95 miles per hour, it is probably unwise to mock the police. Before we get to Matthew Mary, uh, Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, is encouraging Americans to stay home over the holidays and forgo traditional gatherings indoors. Dr. Fauci warned Americans, don't travel, don't congregate together. Fauci said everyone should just hang on because the FDA is close to authorizing Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines. He went on to say rising case numbers, hospitalizations and deaths are breaking records every day and emphasized this is not a hoax. No one's saying it is a hoax, Dr. Fauci. And I think you will see scaled down uh, holiday celebrations this year. In my family, we do a big Christmas Eve celebration. Sometimes it's 50, 60 people. I think it's just going to be a dozen of us uh, this year. So we're, I know that's over Governor Cuomo's limit of 10, but we're all taking the proper precautions. There's been so much discussion in the media uh, about these Donald Trump pardons. Who will he pardon? Will he pardon himself? Will he pardon his family? Even Rudy Giuliani has been talked about as being the recipient of a pardon. But so many of the people offering commentary on this subject have no idea what it's like to be in a courtroom. They have no idea what it's like to try a criminal case. Well, uh, the gentleman on the line with us right now is somebody that has decades of experience as a high-profile criminal defense attorney. He's gotten acquittals for people that uh, everyone just assumed were as guilty as can be. And uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he's somebody that uh, I've always been really impressed with and very proud to know. Distinguished criminal defense attorney and radio talk show host in his own right on WVOX in Westchester, Matthew J. Mary. Matty, thanks so much for joining me on the radio this morning. 
Good to be with you, Frank. I haven't been with you in a while. Yeah, you've been. I feel like you've been laying low. Uh, what, you, you're ducking me. I, I thought maybe Lay, I owed laying you. low. You know what, Frank? Uh, I, in August, I got knee replacement surgery, and I've been recovering for the last 16 weeks. Believe it or not, I mean I'm good. I'm making progress. But uh, all of your listeners out there, just want to warn them: if you do get knee replacement surgery, be prepared for a lot of pain. For a long time. Mm, uh, on top of that, on top of that, we're, we're into this COVID thing that seems it, it started on, for me, it started on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. That was the first day I stood home. And and it, it seems like a century that, that we've been in and out of the COVID scare. Uh, and then on top of that, we got we got what most people don't understand a revolution in our streets. It's kind of quiet now. I don't know why, but you know, it's not a spontaneous situation when you've got people running around lawlessly and disorderly. Uh, it's it's uh, it's something that's uh, that has a little bit of a plan. So all these things are kind of getting me down. I can imagine. Uh, you've gotten me depressed here. I'm ready for an antidepressant or two. Uh, all right, we're going to yes. do uh, – If maybe people won't be any more uplifted at the end of our conversation, but hopefully they'll be a little bit more enlightened. Uh, Matt, let me ask you about this situation involving uh, the president and his family. There's been some speculation, there's been some reporting that he's considering pardoning his children, his, um, his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and maybe even himself – in case anybody tries to go after them on federal pr- criminal prosecutions after he's out of office. One, do you think uh, that this is likely? And two, how would this work operationally? Does this essentially provide a, a shield for anything that they've all done within the last four years? Well, first of all, I don't think it's going to happen. That's the answer to number one. And number two, uh, how does it work operationally? I don't know of any other case uh, where someone's been pardoned for something that's so well undefined. In other words, uh, the closest thing to this situation was when President Ford pardoned President Nixon. There was a lot of talk prior to Nixon's resignation that he might pardon himself and a lot of speculation that he had the authority to pardon himself. And indeed, I think President Trump has the authority to do all these things, but they've never been done before. And that's why I don't think he'll do it. Also, it's like admitting guilt to something you haven't done. Mm. Uh, I don't think that Hillary Clinton would accept a pardon from President Trump. At the beginning of President Trump's term, uh, even even, you know, if it was done in a good natured way, because accepting that pardon is like saying I have done something wrong. You can't be pardoned for doing nothing. So I don't think it's going to happen, uh, although in these very strange and turbulent times, you never know what is going to happen. And I can understand that President Trump and his family might be apprehensive about uh, about what could happen in the new administration. 
Well, and, and you know, and just so everybody knows, uh, Maddie is a Trump supporter, as am I, uh, but uh, he's a pretty straight shooter when it comes to his legal analysis. I'm curious, Matt, in terms of the legal challenges that are being led by Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis to the state certifications in several of these states, how do you see that whole situation playing out? There are a lot of Trump supporters listening that are hoping to hold on to some semblance of hope that maybe a he'll end up somehow getting another four years. Do you see it anyway? Well, there is hope. But before I get to that, you know very well, as someone who's been involved with election law, you know, most people don't understand election law at all. It's quite a complex uh, area of the law. And most of the time, when you have a a, a contested election, let's say for the city council, what, what the lawyers are doing, they may be going before the court, and and, and, and and challenging individual ballots, let's mm. say these absentee ballots are signed incorrectly or they have no address or something's missing, or you could show that the same person uh, has signed uh, 50 uh, uh, of these uh, absentee ballots. You know, you're going into a court and you're going almost one by one on each on each vote and having to prove to the court that these these votes are invalid and they have to be cast aside. That's almost impossible in the case of President Trump because he's got, he's got to go into to six states and, and, and try to overturn thousands and thousands of votes. But they have clearly demonstrated that there's election fraud. So now what's their next move? Uh, they, may, they may not succeed in the lower courts, but once they get to the state legislatures, each state legislature has to confirm the vote, to authorize the vote, and to direct the electors of their state to comply with the results of the election in that state. Now, if state legislatures can be convinced that the laws of the state were not followed in that state, if the laws were not approved, as in Article 2 of the Constitution requires, by the state legislatures, then the entire election in certain states can be declared by the legislature to be invalid, and then the state legislators would vote the electoral votes for their state. Now, if on December 14th, when the Electoral College is supposed to meet, it's supposed to cast the ballots, and you know, in, in, in line with the election results, if there is no winner, no 270 votes for either candidate, then the, then the House of Representatives would elect the president and the Senate would elect the vice president. If that happens, Trump is looking very good. Hmm. So um, as a as a, I know, I'm much more of a gambler than than you are, Matt. But uh, in, in term, if you were to uh, cast a wager on this, uh, given <laughs> what you said and if people just tuning in, we're talking with distinguished criminal defense attorney and radio talk show host Matthew Mary. If, if, given what you said about the prospects here, what uh, what do you what, what would you think is more likely at this point? Do you think it's more likely that we have a Biden administration I, or yeah. a second Trump administration? I think it's very likely that it will be a Biden administration because if it goes to the state legislators, I think even some of the Republicans might choose to go along with this election, whether it's legitimate or not, in order to keep the public peace and to uh, and to 
avoid what might very well turn out to be a bloody situation in the streets. So a lot of times people make those decisions not based mm. on, on mm. party lines but based upon what they may feel is the safest way to go. Uh, how do you think – how would you characterize the – this election itself, uh, are you as frustrated as the president seemed to be in his uh, 40 minutes of commentary on this uh, that he gave on social media this week? Yeah, I think that uh, that that the election was definitely something uh, that we've never seen before. I mean, when Kennedy got elected back in 1960, that was the first election that I was aware of, that I followed as a, as a little kid, uh, you know, the rumor was that Kennedy lost, uh, Kennedy won Illinois because there was some hanky-panky. But never before have you had hanky-panky in six states. And uh, it's just, it seems like this is an organized effort hmm. to uh, to really fix the election in favor of Biden. Uh, I had uh, Jerome Corsi on my show this afternoon, and he, he was talking about how Biden was so cocky about about winning the election, as though like he knew he could stay home because the fix was in. Well, uh, yeah, I've had uh, Jerome Corsi on this program as well, and he still believes that there's a, an opportunity to get uh, Joe Biden below 270, in which case the election would be kicked to the House of Representatives. And then all of a sudden, as you say, uh, President Trump's chances look a, a lot better. Uh, I, I don't know that I, I'm as optimistic as uh, as Jerome Corsi is. I, I kind of think it's a, a done deal at this point. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Only time will tell. If If the president does end up losing, uh, he's already talking about running in 2024. Do you think that uh, he'd be a prohibitive favorite uh, for the Republican nomination, at least, come 2024? Uh, I think as we stand here in 2020, certainly he would be the big-time favorite. But, uh, you know, I'm a big Trump supporter, as you know, and I don't like what's happened to him starting out with the election of, of 2016 and how they, they tried desperately and and, and, and religiously to 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 take him out of office, to first to stop him from being president, then to to, to remove him from office, and finally they, they, they end up by getting him out with, with a fraudulent election. But when we get to 2024, you're going to have a lot of other attractive candidates like Nikki Haley and Christy Nome and Ron DeSantis. You, you'll have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of guys like uh, Senator Mark Rubio, Tim Scott. Rick Scott, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, Rand Paul, Lindsey Graham. I, I like John Kennedy from Louisiana. And, of course, you got Mike Pence uh, in the mix. So there are a lot of other candidates. And let's face it, as much as we love Donald Trump and as much as he has done as president, he's one of the greatest presidents of our times, uh, I think that he's a very divisive uh, figure. And uh, I think that if you take him out of the equation, you take a lot away from the opposition. So in 2024, I'd like to go 
with someone else. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and you've certainly uh, listed, uh, you know, an interesting list of people. One of the guys on the Republican side that really impresses me uh, has been uh, Senator from Missouri, uh, Josh Hawley. Uh, I think he's yes. an energetic guy and a, and a bright guy and somebody that, uh, at least on issues of trade, big tech, and a bunch of other issues, uh, he actually is uh, very Trumpy. And, and my concern is uh, that uh, the Republican Party will move more to- after Trump, will move back more towards a Bush-Romney uh, direction, which is not my kind of direction. I'm hoping that that populist strand of, of Republicanism that Donald Trump brought out of the party, I'm hoping that that continues to be the dominant wing of the party going forward. But I guess only time will tell. Um, Matty, time will tell, uh, Frank. That, that's, that's what's going to happen. As far as 2024, people will emerge, maybe people that we haven't talked about. Yeah. It's, and who knows? You never know what happens on the Democratic side at that point either. All right. Let me ask you about some news this week out of uh, Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, a swing state. But this has nothing to do with politics. Not really. Anyway, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, pointedly questions the use of prior bad acts witnesses in Bill Cosby's trial. Now, I you were the first person that I thought of when I saw this story because I remember during the trial itself, you raised questions about uh, bringing in all these witnesses for, who were not, at, not victims in this crime and who were testifying about acts that weren't charged in the Bill Cosby trial. Do you think there's any chance Bill Cosby may end up getting out of prison? I think he will definitely get out of prison. And if you focus on the questions that the the appellate judges were asking the lawyers the other day during the oral argument, uh, it's very clear that some of the judges are quite disturbed over this case. And from my point of view, uh, I, I would say that the Bill Cosby case is a despicable railroad job that you don't often see in state courts. You know, federal court, is a place where, you know, you walk in that building as a defendant, your goose is cooked. <laughs> but in state courts, not so much because the laws are traditional. And what by that, in reference to the Cosby case, uh, you, you, there is no other case in Pennsylvania where they've allowed other victims uh, to be able to testify at trial. People who would be time barred from bringing a case against Bill Cosby. They were allowed to testify in in court and to poison the the minds of the jurors. Also, Bill Cosby had a civil case uh, prior to the criminal case, years before, where he made an agreement, his lawyers made an agreement with the district attorney that if he did, in fact, testify at the civil case, that those uh, transcripts would never be used against him. And in fact, they just said, oh, Mm. we didn't really mean that. You know, there's no written agreement. It's not written in stone. We could use it. We need it. And uh, I think that infuriated at least uh, one of the appellate judges on the Cosby case. It's funny. I'm reminded, uh, listening to your description of how uh, they went back on their word with uh, with respect to the testimony in the civil case, reminded of that classic piece of American cinema, Animal House, and that one scene, and I'm paraphrasing uh, for the sake of radio, where uh, the fella says to the other fella, oh, you screwed up. You trusted us. (laughs) That'll show you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, Matty, you have spent a lot of time 
at the, uh, as I have actually, and not nearly as much as you, at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, uh, which is home to a number of high-profile inmates. They have had 25 confirmed cases of the coronavirus since March. Uh, coronavirus is spreading in jails and prisons all over the country at a rate uh, a bit greater, not a bit greater, far greater than it is the general population. Now, I have been saying that I think priority needs to be given after healthcare workers, after first responders, after nursing home residents. Priority needs to be given to people that are in prison now in terms of getting the coronavirus vaccine. And when I've brought this up on the radio, when I've brought this up on social media, I'm 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 mocked, I'm pilloried, I'm oh I, I'm greeted with the attitude, oh no, the, the, why, why should they get a vaccine? I'm curious as somebody that's represented a number of uh, of criminals and somebody that's spent a great deal of time in this particular jail facility, what do you think of my suggestion uh, that uh, we should prioritize giving the vaccine to prisoners? Frank, I think that's one of the best things that I've heard in a long time as far as common sense and decency and, and, and facing up to reality. We have people in prison that are sentenced to, from as little. I have a client right now uh, from Staten Island who is doing six months. That's his sentence, six months. And the judge would not listen to anything about alternative to incarceration. Oh, no, you have to do six months. And he's over at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and the place is infested with COVID. It's just, it's at a critical stage. And the MDC in Brooklyn is just overrun with, with, with COVID. So these people, whether you're doing six months or six years or life without parole, you're not being sentenced to, to die from, from some dreadful disease. There should be some method to, to protect these people because they're trapped. They are trapped between the four walls of the prison, and there's no way out. There's nowhere to run, and the least that society can do for these people, and I'm talking about the guards and the inmates uh, and the administrators, is give these people the vaccine as soon as possible. And uh, finally, I did mention Jelaine Maxwell uh, because she's one of the inmates there. Her case has obviously gotten a great deal of attention. Even President Trump has commented on her. Uh, she was in the New York Post yesterday, mentioned in the New York Post in this uh, this front page story where they went through the, uh, the the commentary of this former Clinton aide, Doug Band. And he talked about the close family ties between uh, the Clintons and Epstein and Jelaine Maxwell. Do you think she has any chance? of um, getting an acquittal or getting any sort of a break here? If you were representing her, what strategy would you be pursuing? I'd I'd be pursuing the the strategy of portraying her uh, quite honestly and correctly as a scapegoat, all right? Jeff Epstein stands alone, an island unto himself. And to make her pay for his crimes, because he's no longer here. It's just political prostitution of the justice system. There's no way in the world that this woman uh, is uh, a primary defendant in a case like this. Uh, I don't even think she should be in jail. There's no reason for her not to be out on bail. 
And uh, it's just part of this, you know, it goes back to Cosby. It's all part of this Me Too movement. It's all part of this new political revolution of thought and of actions and of making people pay uh, when, when, when they're not actually proven guilty yet. It's really sad, and I think she's going to get off. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting. It's a pretty bold prediction. Matthew Mary, never at a loss for words and uh, somebody that you should be listening to regularly on WVOX and somebody that we're privileged to be able to check in with on the radio from time to time. And he's somebody, if you ever commit a crime, he should be first on your speed dial. Matthew, thank you for the time this morning. Okay, thank you, Frank. Bye. This is Frank Morano on Talk Radio 1071. We'll continue right after the news with John Katsimatidis and Lauren Conlon. You can follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano, and uh, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Happy Friday, everybody. You are listening to Talk Radio 1071. I'm Frank Morano here every morning from 10 to 11. You know, I get a nice, uh, I'm getting more and more emails from those of you listening on Talk Radio 1071 all over Eastern Long Island. And I don't know what all you folks did for a talk station before you had this one, because uh, I am getting the kind of response, not just to me, but to Rich Valdez, to Bill O'Reilly, to Curtis and Juliet, the whole lineup, Bernie and Sid, uh, that. Uh, I don't know where it's like an oasis in a desert for so many of you. Well, the man that made all that possible, the man who had a vision of hearing a talk station in eastern Long Island that would provide quality live and local talk is the owner of our radio station and the head of the of the head of Red Apple Media, a close friend of mine. You can also hear him on the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning on this station from 8.30 to 10. My guest this morning, the one and only John Katsimatidis. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Frank? I'm doing great, John. Uh, something tells me, though, you will not be first in line to purchase the Tax the Rich sweatshirt that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is selling for $28 on her website. You know, uh, I don't know where they're going. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's they have Some of these politicians have not learned yet that the people that have money also, unless they're in the inheritance business, they also have the ability to make decisions and move. And um, uh, I think they, in November 2021, Frank, it's going to be a big decision for New York City. Uh, or is it going to be the New York City we know and love? Or is it going to be the New York, the new New York City uh, by the so-called regressives. Mm. By the way, I have renamed the progressives was false advertising. They're not progressives. I've called them now regressives. Yeah, and I, I've told all my friends that's what you should call them, uh, regressives. Uh, by the way, I just want to correct what I said. AOC is selling that sweatshirt, that tax the rich sweatshirt, for fifty eight dollars, not uh, twenty eight dollars. So uh, I don't. Well, know she's she... making. You know, they cost ten dollars a piece. So she's making $48 profit on each one. She must be a capitalist. Well, so that is exactly what I wanted to ask you about. You were quoted extensively this week in uh, the Epoch Times um, with saying progressives are regressing New York. Um, how do you mean exactly, John? Is it just because of these, these tax the wealthy policies or is it broader than that? They are trying to take New York back. Look, look at the, the laws they passed in Albany. Uh, look at the lawyer's uh, uh, assemblyman. I hate to call him speakers, uh, hasty 
in Albany, assemblyman or hasty, uh, of uh, the bail law. They have taken all the criminals from Rikers Island, put them onto the streets of New York. I mean, that is horrible. We have uh, Rikers Island went from like 10,000 uh, inmates uh, to like 4,000, something like that, Frank. And, and, and you know what it's about? It's about, I don't care if they let the people out that had one ounce of marijuana. Sure. I don't care if they let the people out that, that uh, were loitering. Uh, but to let the people out that were carrying guns, threatening our citizens, carrying guns, knives, using uh, threats of physical force against other people, those people, let them stay in. Well, John, you're you're so right on both counts. And lest anyone think you're a lock them up and throw away the keys guy, I went to a forum on criminal justice reform eight years ago that you sponsored and Joe Bruno was there and you went out of your way to point out uh, and had experts, real experts, uh, defense attorneys, prosecutors, everybody, all of the instances of prosecutorial misconduct that happen all over the country. And you, you guys highlighted all the people that are in prison or at least many of the types of people that are in prison that shouldn't be. So I don't think there's anything contradictory about saying we don't want violent criminals running running around without bail on the street. And at the same time, we want to reduce our overall prison population as President Trump did with the First Step Act. I, I agree with that 100 yeah. uh, percent. We should, you know, we shouldn't just put people in jail for minor crimes if they're if it's their first time or second time. And, you know, but violent crimes, the only way you clean up your streets is get those people off the streets. The other one that uh, we've been talking about, Frank, is the mentally ill. If you talk to Randy Mastro, uh, who was deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani, they had 30,000 mentally ill people in hospitals. You know, they took all those people, threw them in the streets of New York, and they're the homeless. Yeah, it, it, they, those people deserve to be treated in hospitals. And uh, I suggest instead of spending a zillion dollars that the mayor de Blasio wanted to spend on on new on jails in, in communities of our city, Rikers Island is a great island. Build a hospital there to treat the mentally ill. Uh, you know what? That is actually a terrific idea. And uh, the front page of today's New York Daily News really says it all. Headline, not again. Punk terrifies shop owner and little girl as he robs Bronx bodega twice in nine days. Yeah, you, you read stories like this, John, and you ask yourself, what do you have to actually do to be to, to be kept in jail? Apparently nothing. Nothing. And, and, and that's the whole thing. People are given, you know, I don't call it whatever the police department called ticket. A desk appearance ticket, is it? Or right, something? exactly. I call it, you're getting a parking ticket. And if you get a parking ticket for carrying a gun, how many of those people you think show up in court? Yeah. To be, yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's a joke. Yeah, uh, the criminals are laughing. Yeah, uh, no, you're exactly right, John. Uh, these are some of the issues that I've noticed you've been highlighting all week long as you've been doing afternoons. I, I caught you uh, with Dominic Carter yesterday. I love hearing Dominic uh, from four to six. You were on with Peter King earlier in the week. You've been ha- doing some great, great interviews uh, on Sunday. I know you're having the founder of Parlor, John Matsey, on. I'll be honest with you, John. One of the things I hear every 
everywhere I go is concerns about censorship on social media, not just from conservatives, but from independents, libertarians, even some progressives. Um, How big of a deal do you think censorship with these big tech companies actually is? And do you think that could create a market for a company like Parler? Uh, I think uh, it's going to form a tremendous market. Uh, I think between Google, uh, Facebook, and uh, uh, Instagram, if they're controlling what people think, that is horrible. I mean, there's nothing more horrible. I mean, that's we're, we're in a third world country, and there's no law against these guys. Yeah. So the only law against these guys is people take their business elsewhere. And uh, Parler uh, seems to be, I, I, I want to make sure, they're not just a, a right-wing outfit. I just want whatever people want to uh, put out there, they're entitled to put out there, freedom of speech, as long as it's not really uh, raunchy or something. Sure. Uh, uh, but uh, restriction of news, restricting the president of the United States, I mean, that... How much power do these people have just because they, they theoretically made a few a few billion dollars? Well, well, more than a few billion. And the, my other problem is the major networks, even Fox. Uh, did you see what, what's going on with the expose on uh, Zucker from CNN? Yeah, my friend James O'Keefe at Project Veritas. He's been all over that. Uh, it's horrible. He's over there instructing uh, his reporters, uh, his version of uh, the truth, which is not the truth. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. Well, I mean, it's clearly they're not in the news business. They're not in the journalism business. They're propagandists for one political party. And that's fine if that's what they want to be. But they should at least disclose to the public that that's what they are, uh, which I don't think uh, is what they're doing. John, uh, two final points I want to raise with you. Uh, but while we still have you, uh, one is the issue of the vaccine. A lot of people are very optimistic about these vaccines that are coming. The Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, the Astro the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, we saw yesterday Presidents Obama, Bush, Clinton, and Trump all come out and say they would take the vaccine publicly to uh, make sure that the public has confidence in it. Are you going to take the vaccine? And as a large employer, are you going to mandate that your employees take the vaccine? Well, well, you know, what we do is make sure everybody gets tested. Sure. We want yeah, a, safe, a safe environment. Um I, I don't think as an employer I will mandate them to take it, but uh, uh, I, I believe uh, testing is still going to be – I think we're gonna, still going to take everybody's temperature coming to the office. Yeah, well, no, it's a very, um, very safe environment here. Um, but uh, Am I going to take it? Well, let me tell you about the pharmaceutical companies. I'm going to take a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, these companies are already saying, well, it might be good for only six months or nine months. You know what the translation of that is, uh, Frank? <laughs> that we want a permanent annuity. I think, oh, I think I'm going to go out and buy Pfizer stock or the other, uh, uh, because they're going to say, you need a booster shot every six months. Does, you know what that means? That we don't want to get paid once, like the polio vaccine. We only got paid once. You need to take it once a year or once every six months, and you got to pay us two hundred dollars for every uh, every time, and it's a permanent annuity. Well, I, I will. And I mean, you took, that is 
you, you took the polio vaccine, so you may know this better than me, but my understanding is the inventor of the polio vaccine, Jonas Salk, didn't make a dime because he felt that it was wrong to profit on creating a vaccine that would help so many people. And that stands in stark contrast to what companies like Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca are doing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's a big uh, contrast. And the other thing I tell my, uh, my friends on the Democratic side, what other president has ever accomplished three different vaccines in six months? It, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I believe, and uh, I know everybody, uh, that's why I'm on at night, everybody thinks I'm a little conspiratorial in my thinking. I believe that uh, Pfizer suppressed the news of the positive vaccine trials until after the election because they feared that if that came out before the election, that it would have a beneficial electoral effect on uh, Donald Trump. But uh, but you're right. Operation Warp Speed to have three vaccines that are ready for distribution in, in less than in less than 10 months. I, I don't know of another president that uh, that's done anything like this. None. Yeah, and even I'm having arguments with my high school buddies that uh, say, "Oh, Trump is the worst guy in the world." My God, and my biggest concern with Joe Biden, if he becomes president, that he's going to open up the borders, and we're going to get MS-13 all over again. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a it's a big it's a valid concern. And it's one that I share. Finally, John, let me ask you about this. So we, we talked about some of the problems that New York City is having. You have a problem with people moving out of New York to places like the Hamptons, Florida, Arizona, Connecticut, not just because of the high cost of living, uh, but because of crime, because uh, all the restaurants are closed, because a lot of the cultural institutions are closed. You have a city that's closed. You have a city that's uh, costs a fortune to live in. And you have a city where people have to worry about getting shot in random acts of violence and you have a city where there's pandemic homelessness as well as 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 the virus itself so let me ask you the question that everybody's been asking me literally every day no matter where i go whether it's somebody that's into politics whether it's somebody that doesn't follow politics the question i get asked literally every day is is john katsimatidis going to run for mayor i know you said it you'd wait till after the election what's your timetable for making a decision at this point john which direction are you leaning I'm going to give you something very interesting, Frank, and I've only felt this way the last seven days. You know that 22% of the 3 million votes that were cast in New York City were by mail. I'm not sure our guys, uh, our friends, or that 22% was an honest mail count, hmm. just like the rest of the country. Hmm. So if you're, going to go, if you're going to go run and volunteer to spend 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 100 million, if they're cooking the books behind you, what good is it? Yeah. So it sounds like you're so concerned about what good is it? Fraud. Now look at this. Uh, during during uh, there was uh, how many uh, state senators did the Republicans elect on election day? I think they won. Uh, they either defended or won seven or eight seats. Well, and then when they the books, uh, well, I'm not going to say the books were cooked because we don't have proof of it in New York, but if it happened every place else, what say you that about that? Yeah. Well, I find it very suspicious. And if you look at what's happening upstate with Claudia Tenney's congressional race right now, where she was ahead yes. by 12 votes, and then all of a sudden they magically found, they magically discovered 55 votes a month after the election. It doesn't exactly instill a great deal of confidence in the electoral process, wherever you fall on the political spectrum. 
so as of right now, I think the biggest problem our country have has is voting reform. Mm. And uh, a, a, again, uh, every American citizen has the right to vote. But if you're voting for three weeks ahead of time, a month ahead of time, there's not enough people in the world to monitor all the things that could be done. Yeah, it's certainly uh, it's certainly very disconcerting. Uh, so I guess we'll stay tuned and we'll see if uh, see where we are come February when petitions start in the mayoral race. Hey, uh, John, this was this is a lot of fun. I'll be chatting with you on the radio Sunday morning. I hope everybody on this station listens from eight thirty to ten uh, to the Cats Roundtable on Sunday morning. Uh, and as always, thank you for the opportunity you've given me to host this show every day. The other side of midnight. That's right. 1 a.m. until 5 a.m. Listen at WABCRadio.com. Download the podcast. We do wacky stuff. We do fun stuff. Uh, we explore issues you don't hear about on any other radio show. And the man uh, that has made it all possible is uh, John Katsimatidis. Thank you very much for the time this morning, John. Well, before we get out of here, it is Friday. And who better to end the week with than one of my favorite people to talk to? Usually she's the go-to person when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to Hollywood, when it comes to movies, television, theater. But in our last conversation, she created quite a stir with uh, some pretty groundbreaking information that she had into the death of actress Brittany Murphy. Uh, She was in Clueless. She was in Eight Mile. And a lot of us were a little perplexed at some of the information that we heard from Lauren Conlon. And believe it or not, she has a follow-up. Lauren, uh, good morning. Hi, Frank. How are you? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, my gosh. It was actually so good that um, yesterday my four-and-a-half-year-old daughter asked me if I was having another baby, which I'm not. So it was that good, wow. apparently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, yesterday morning was rough. Kids are savage, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little impromptu trip to the gym after she said that. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> no more pie. She, she didn't say it because she thought you looked fat. Oh, I honey, mean... she did. She actually put her hand on my stomach, and she goes, Mommy, you have another baby? And I actually looked at uh, you know my husband, and I was like, it's actually physically impossible right now, and I won't tell you guys why you, you can figure it out um but yeah no no baby just a food baby well <laughs> so. uh, hey uh you should say no but we're having one less child because we're putting you up for yeah adoption. basically That's basically so said. long story short frank uh my thanksgiving was great wonderful good <laughs> thanks for asking i was happy i got to meet your dad he's an interesting uh, interesting guy and yeah, a very nice guy he he really enjoyed meeting you he really really did well, that's that nice to hear. Made his, made his week. All right. So um, last time we spoke, you had interviewed yes. uh, the mother of Brittany Murphy's significant other, who also died sort of mysteriously. Yes, I had interviewed Linda Monjack, Simon Monjack's mother, who Simon died five months after Brittany did. It's been a mystery for the past 11 years. And I, you know, I wasn't completely satisfied with the information that I was uh, reading online. So I decided to reach out to Dr. Cyril Wecht, who in 2016, said, you know, this case should probably be reopened or reexamined after um, Angelo Bertolotti, Brittany's father, had a hair test done and there were different types of metals found in her hair. Hmm. That could also mean rat poison. So I reached out to Dr. Wecht and um, we chatted for for quite some time. And his conclusion at this point was that um, there was actually no way that she could have been poisoned. So I was like, wait a second. 
really? But they found this, th- these metals in her hair. And he said, yes, but there are so many different types of metals. Nobody would actually do that. If they're mm. trying to poison someone, they would just use one type of metal. So, you know, I didn't really accept that answer just because, I don't know, it's 2020 now. And I know that things are a little bit different. But I just feel like if you want to poison someone with a million different types of metals, you can. Or a million different types of poisons, whatever, you can. Anybody can do anything. But um, anyway turns out he he really really thinks there was just a serious case of neglect hmm. and some weird things going on in that house um these are three affluent adults Brittany um Simon and her mother Sharon and they were living like paupers they were living in filth um you know there was mold in their house which is how they contracted pneumonia in the first place and nobody really knows what was going on behind closed doors to to or as to why Brittany died from pneumonia this pneumonia Dr. Weck said was completely treatable like you can go to a doctor or a hospital get an antibiotic and you're good to go it should not cause death so I think the biggest mystery at this point that's really just going to bother me until uh, Sharon Murphy comes forward is what was happening in that house. Sure. Why were they living like this and what was going on? I mean, it's just not right. Well, now, so, uh, Dr. Cheryl Wax, uh, probably the, along with Dr. Michael Bodden, the uh, most respected forensic pathologist in the country, that is an interview that uh, I think people are going to be very interested in seeing. So uh, in order to see that, what's the best way for people to do so? Well, you can listen to my interview on the podcast. It's the um, podcast that was released this week. So um, as of Wednesday, and I know, you know, a lot of people I see sort of commenting, well, why are you bringing this up? This is 11 years ago, blah, blah, blah. Well, the anniversary of her death is is this month. So I do think it's relevant. And what does I think that mean, why are you bringing it up? People, how, would, how would you feel if somebody you were related to died? And I agree. Um, so Law and Crime covered this episode for, for me the other day. And I can see on the YouTube page, people comment like, I think most people still agree that she was poisoned, which is interesting. Even though, you know, Dr. Weft was like, no, there's really no way she hmm. could have been. Um, but a lot of people are like, yeah, why are you bringing this up? It's like it's been 11 years. And again, it's like you said, it's it, something happened. Something sinister definitely happened. It's just strange that nobody has has taken a deep dive into this further. All right. So if people want to listen to the podcast, they can uh, search on uh, Google uh, or uh, they, uh, search on iTunes, yeah, or iTunes Google Podcasts. Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's available. R- search Red Carpet Rendezvous. Yes, exactly. And uh, they'll be able to listen to it. And so that's uh, that's going to be pretty interesting. Now, uh, the last time I was, I'm a little irked at you because you did not remind me to bring <laughs> in the New York Post that I saved for oh, you. Oh, And no. my wife keeps reminding me like to get, get it rid of it, get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, it's probably it's sitting on the up, table. Oh, uh, no. Space. Uh, but any, it does remind me that the, since the last time I've spoken with you in person, you've been uh, written about in page six for your interview with uh, Luann Deceps. Deceps, yes. Deceps. Yes, she is. Who's uh, a member of the Sam Party, and she's a reality show star? Yes, she is um, on The Real Housewives of New York City. She is Countess Luann, but she's also a cabaret star. So I really wanted to talk to her about her music and her cabaret shows. And um, that was a really fun episode, and it made page six. So I was very excited for that publicity. Um, and, you know, last week my episode was very spicy. It's mm. actually with actor Josh Duhamel about his new film, Buddy Games. And um, that movie is 
very entertaining, very funny. I actually thought it was sort of the movie that 2020 needed just to, you know, watch, turn your brain off and just laugh. It has the makings of the movie The Hangover, I would Hmm. say, where you can make a sequel. It's not quite as funny. Give me the title again. Buddy Games. Buddy Games. Yes. And is it on demand? It's on demand. $20? No, I don't think it's $20. Um, You know, I didn't have to buy it because I give it to me so I can interview the actors and everything. But, you know, Josh directed it, he wrote it, and he started it. And I was impressed with him. He's got a sick mind. And um, again, if you have a weak stomach, don't watch it. Really? And and if you're like a teenager and you want to watch it with your parents or your young adult, I would say skip watching it with your parents Did too. Did you see, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Lauren Conlon from the Red Carpet Rendezvous podcast. Do check out the podcast. Um, did you see that Warner Brothers is now going to be streaming yes. all of their films at the same time they're released in theaters? Crazy. I mean, this is a huge deal. I mean, this actually makes me, again, my podcast is called Red Carpet Rendezvous. So I obviously started this, um, you know, where I was on red carpets at movie premieres and television show premieres, interviewing these celebrities about the shows. And that was my whole premise, these red carpets. So it's funny that Warner Brothers is starting this whole thing. And, you know, there's basically not going to be any more red carpets for a very long time. You changed the title to uh, Pajama Party or something. Nope, that was the worst thing I've ever heard, but uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, thanks for that. I'll, yeah. I'll keep them in the back of my All mind. Right, not. We'll, um, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, but no, it's a huge deal. So if other, um, if other film companies follow suit, I guess there's really not going to be anything um, <laughs> that are, are red carpet related for a really long time. It's yeah. going to be all it, virtual. It could, I guess the end of movie theaters as we know it. Oh possibly. my gosh, don't even say that. I will tell you, uh, my daughter and I love going to movies and I really was excited to you know, be able to take my son when he turned two and a half to, to movies. And it's just killing me that we can't go. On the yeah. weekends, we love those those chairs in the Upper West Side that kind of just like are, you know, stretch. They, what is it? The reclining chairs. Yeah. They're so nice. I fall asleep in them every time. Yeah, I just, no, I just those love are comfortable. It. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, I see that uh, actor Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. Yeah. Uh, and yet she's going to continue playing a cisgender woman on, on television. How are people reacting to the news of her transformation? I think I think everybody's giving her a lot of props for coming out. I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts, especially at, at this point in your career, you know, at this point in your life. You know, she's not, she's young, but she's not super young. So I think that everybody, um, you know, celebrities and, and, and everybody in the industry is being very positive about her coming out. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I, Again, I, I, I give her props. I think it's great, and I think it's, it takes a lot of guts. These are some of the discussions that you will hear on the Red Carpet Rendezvous. Do check out the podcast. Lauren, thank you. Thank you. All right. That is uh, just about all the time we have for today. Uh, be sure to listen to Rich Valdez uh, coming up at 11. He'll take you to 1145. He's been doing a great job sitting in for our colleague Rudy Giuliani this week while the Mayor Giuliani, Mayor Giuliani tries to save the republic. And then uh, Bill O'Reilly coming up at 1145 and uh, Curtis and Juliet at high noon. So it's going to be an action-packed day here on Talk Radio 1071. I will be back Monday morning at 1 a.m. In the meantime, you can stay in touch with me uh, via Twitter and find me at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. They say it's going to be a dreary and wet weekend, so it could be a good weekend to catch up on some of these movies that Lauren is telling you about or just to do some online Christmas shopping. Have a great weekend, everybody. Frank Morano. Good day.